What's going on, Mr. T? What's happening? What's going on, brother? How you doing? I'm doing splendid. Splendid, splendid. I'm going to do, do a little intro right here. Okay, okay. Hello and good day. My name is Jay Hall, and this is another episode of Be, Do, Have. Get more out of life. I am here with a, a homie of mine who I served with in the Marine Corps, after which he then uh, took a path in law enforcement, and it was even a secret undercover. He, that, that life is, is no more of his, and today we're going to talk, we're going to pick the brain and just see what it takes, you know, what it, just what it takes to get what you want in life. Mr. T, how are you? I'm good, sir. How about yourself, Mr. Man, J? Man, I'm good, man. I'm over here quarantining, sipping orange juice, trying to walk around the park. Man, I'm feeling good. Yes, sir. Same here, man. It's this little pandemic got everybody going crazy. Everything's shutting down. But it's good to know you. You're still alive. You're still here. You got things going. Yes, yes. Because you know, it's either either we are dead or we are not. You know exactly. And if we are still breathing, then it is possible. So, uh, I know that you come from uh, you come from the you come from a certain part of the world. So just go ahead and just tell us. Tell us where you come from in your life, basically, before you joined the military. Okay, okay. Well, we'll start off. Uh, I'm a Florida boy. I won't yeah. put my city out there. Oh, yeah. You Go ahead. Go ahead. Let them have it. Let them hear it. <laughs> you, you. Do <laughs> Yes, sir. Everybody know about that place. But, uh, yeah, man, I come from the big city of Jacksonville, Florida. Um, born and raised. Joined the Marine Corps. And after leaving the Marine Corps, I took up, you know, a career in law enforcement. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's about 10 years strong now. And still pursuing that federal law enforcement career now. Oh, that's what's up. Yes, sir. Man, now coming from the streets of that Jayville, you know, coming from the coming from them cities with a somewhat of a, a hood mentality, if you will. Right, you know, right, right. You you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so oh, yeah. Sometimes, like when a person wants to join the military, there is this pushback. Like, dude, what are you doing? You gonna join the military? You gonna get shot? Man, <laughs> and it's like you know what. Is it really is, is a person more likely to get shot being a service member or is a person more likely to get shot doing that old that old bull jive as Shannon Sharp would say? <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna tell you right now. You're more likely to get shot doing the bull jive in your own oh. town. <laughs> and honestly, man, what you just said, the simple fact of, you know. I can't go to the military. I don't want nobody telling me what I'm going to do and, you know, nobody getting my face yelling and doing this and that. Any job you go to, you're going to have somebody telling you what to do. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't right, stop. Right. But that same breath, man, the same concept here. Um, when people found out I was going to be a police officer, they was like, what you going to do? How you going to come from the hood and you going to go be a police officer? You switching out on us? It ain't about switching out. <laughs> 
you know, it's just choosing a career that's going to take me further in life and give me some longevity so that I can provide for myself and for my kids, you know, yeah. and whatever young lady decides to be in my life at that time. That's what I'm talking about. So, I think day is running those things to where, you know, I got to do what I got to do. It's a job. I go to work, I put my pants leg on one leg at a time like everybody else does. I come home. When I come home, I'm out of police mode. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't have to be what people think. That's it what I'm is. talking about. Because see, I, I feel like you know, it's certain jobs that I almost want to call them grand slam, grand slam jobs. Okay, grand. Now, uh-huh. example, you know, what I'm saying I can walk up to the plate and I can hit a home run. I can yak it over the fence and I run around all the bases and I score one point. But in a grand slam. I'm doing the same amount of work, except I got all my bases covered. And so when you mm, exactly. feel me, though, with a comp- yes, exactly, because with a, with a because with a with a position with a like um, being in the law enforcement with the military, you're gonna have a steady paycheck for four years. You know, if that's the contract, you're gonna mm-hmm. have a roof over your head. You're gonna have three meals a day. You ain't gonna pay utilities like. All these little things are taken care of, and with them being taken care of, you can really focus on a lot less hustle in your life and a lot more purpose. That's what it sounds like when you take when I hear you taking these big, uh, these big career moves. You hitting grand absolutely. Man. It's uh, I call it perseverance through adversity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, coming from where I come from, you know, you're around. You know, drugs, guns, prostitution. And it may sound cliche, but it's legit, man. I'm not just saying it to say it. This is my life growing up. That's all I knew growing up. I knew nothing other than that. Until you get to a certain point and you see guys around you, you know, family and friends getting killed, going to prison, mm. you know, drunk out on drugs. And it's like, do, do I want that for myself? Man. Mm. Absolutely not. So at some point you gotta make a decision. I'm gonna I'm gonna take the the right at the fork of the road instead of going left. Right, right. And then those decisions that come along with that, once you make those really good decisions, so many other opportunities start to open up for you. And it was probably about maybe 12, 13 years old, I decided I'm not going that route. Mm. I'm gonna take this route. But of course, you're still out there in the street, you know, running around doing what teenage boys do. But at the same time, you still had, you know, wisdom, as much wisdom as a 12-year-old can have. But people that was in your corner, that was looking out for you and guiding you in the right direction. And that's what really kept me on the straight and narrow path to choose the Marine Corps and <laughs> this law enforcement thing and move on from there, you know. Man, I feel that. Man. And now... One part that's crazy about me, you know, one part that just blows me away is that, you know, I like to, you know, we think of a job and we think, okay, we could do that. I could do that. And I think, you know, being a patrol mm-hmm. cop, I could pull over and give somebody a ticket. You know, I could do that well. But when we start talking about right. being undercover and being in a, you know, choosing to be in a hostile situation, that that's crazy to me. That blows my mind. That's 
it's honestly, man, it's a different lifestyle. Like, yeah, I'm a police officer. And honestly, before, I guess I'm going to give you a little background on it. I guess I gave you my little path that I took before I got to that decision of wanting to work undercover. Now, um, I got out of the Marine Corps shortly afterwards. I went through the police academy. And during the academy, you have different specialized units come in and talk to you, you know, depending upon whatever training you were doing at that moment. And the only two that really stood out to me at the point in time was SWAT and narcotics. You know, those two things stood out to me. And it took me a while to decide which one I wanted to do and what avenue I wanted to take. So uh, I graduated the academy. I still was contemplating which position I wanted to take. Um, I rode patrol for quite some time. And then I went to field training officer school. So that way... I was training new police officers fresh out of the academy, you know, basically on the job training for new police officers. And you must do that for like uh, three months. And then they're off on by themselves. So I did that for a while. So you still ride patrol with your training guys. And then I made the decision, you know, I'm going to go narcotics. I was talking to a few guys here and there who had done it before. And I was talking to a couple of guys who were currently actually in narcotics at the time. And for some reason, that undercover life just continued to hit me, hit me, hit me, hit me. So I said, I'm going to do it. And one of the main reasons is because of my lifestyle I had coming up. You know, when you grow up in a certain environment, it's not hard for you to revert back to what you Mm. know. So easier for you to, to blend in with the surroundings and go work. The only thing I couldn't do was work in the neighborhood I grew up in for the simple fact of, I worked there, well, for some I think I grew up there, yeah. first of all, and then I worked as a patrol officer for quite some time. So everyone knew, tease the police. So I can't go yeah. work there, you know. Well, other areas of the city, when I would go out there, me and my partner, and he was fairly young, too. I mean, when we started the academy, we were about 27, 28 years old. So four years later, we were working undercover. Yeah. And, uh, so we both were fairly young, so we still kind of fit the demographic of these neighborhoods that we're going in. So we didn't stand out like sore thumbs, and we were able to kind of revert back to what we knew. And, man, we ran with it, man. We, we got out there buying drugs, selling drugs, going in clubs, you know, man. doing things that the average criminal would do. But you're walking that fine line because you're living the lifestyle of a criminal, Yet you're a police officer. Man, that's that's crazy because it's like it's like you get to do, you get to be the best of both worlds. You know what I'm saying? You get to play demon and angel at the same time. You from the moment exactly. you clock in to when you come home and you're like, you know, I was at the office doing paperwork and following up on leads, and at the same time, you know, I was down over on the over on the west side, or I was over on on 24th and 9th. Getting about a pound worth, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. With my pistol, right? On too. You know, and it was so crazy. Exactly, and it's so crazy, man. Um, like I say, it's a different lifestyle, so you're constantly looking over your shoulder, like you're really a criminal because you don't know who's who. And out there in the street, man, if they know you're the police, they're not going to deal with you. But if they don't think you're the police, that's good because now you're in. But at the same time, that level of danger increases so much for the simple fact that now they don't think you're the police, so they won't hesitate to shoot you. Man. So that level of danger is always there. 
shit, man. That's, that's, I feel like that would just be like such a, a rush. Like I go to work and I'd just be like, you know, whoo, you know. I had to, that dude was trying to, you know, he was really trying to do something. You know, that was, you know, just these moments where you just go adrenaline will really get to going because you don't know. You know, you you never really been over to this person's right. house before. And, you know, if, if somebody else hanging around and you just, this dude just don't give you a good vibe. And so you got to keep your eye on him, you know? Absolutely, man. And honestly, we train that way. Um, without giving too many details of training, because I don't want to put that out there. But for the most part, say you go into an unknown situation and there's several individuals, you're already scoping the scene to see what's what. Because like you say, you don't know you don't know their intentions because drug deals always go bad. Well, there's always a possibility for them going bad. So you got to start automatically thinking, if it goes south, which one of these guys am I going to take out first? Which threat to me? And like you said, it's an adrenaline rush. It's a huge adrenaline rush. And when you're done with it, like that, those few moments after, you're like, what the hell am I doing? Why am I doing this? Why do I still do this? And then next thing you know, you kind of calm down. And then you're right back in this shit again with the next location. Right. So um, I ended up, I had to shoot somebody probably two weeks into my narcotic career. I was a police officer mm-hmm. four years. Got in the narcotic, two weeks later, I shot someone. So your whole police officer career, you said you never had to shoot anybody? Not until I was two weeks into narcotics. I was a police officer four years, transferred to narcotics. And two weeks in to my position as an undercover officer, I shot someone. Damn, like, that's like that's that's like two total and completely yeah. different environments right there. Hostile right. territory. As well, like, it was it was literally a baptism by fire, pretty <laughs> much. Like, hey, welcome. Hey, this is the world you just entered. Wow. You know, and there's other instances where you know I I almost shot someone else again, but. Um, we didn't have to, but that situation got really hairy. I try not to give too many details. I don't want to put this stuff out there like that. But this one specifically, this guy, he was real sketchy to begin with. And he had dealt with us the day prior. And then um, we got a deal from him the day prior. We went back the next day. And for some reason, he just wasn't feeling it. Now, he had this... Uh, I want to say like a Colt 1911. I think it's a Colt. I'm not sure. I know for sure it was a 1911, whatever it was. Uh, yeah, sitting right there. And he had this this crazed, like, drug-induced look on his face, sitting there rocking back and forth. And at any moment, he could have grabbed that gun and shot myself and shot my partner. But, you know, at this point, I'm thinking in my head, okay, I'm going to have to shoot this guy. <laughs> so I'm setting my pretty much triangulate him so that way I don't shoot my partner if I have to shoot this guy. But it got to the point, you know, I was like, you know what? Don't even worry about it. We'll go somewhere else. And we walked off and we left. Now, that walk back to the car was the longest walk of my life, man. Because now this guy can shoot me in my back. And I won't even know it's coming. Wow. So... I'm walking, and then I play it off. I had to tie my shoes, so I kind of crouched down and looked back, and he was doing whatever, so he wasn't paying us any attention. But still, that was probably one of the most craziest moments that I've had because of the simple fact that he's just all over the place, and you don't know what he's thinking. So in order for me to throw him off, I was like, don't worry about it. We'll go somewhere else, and we left. Wow, man. That's that's crazy. 
Because I feel right. like, it's, like it's the idea to buy a little bit of drugs, be like, all right, where you getting it from, and then go buy a little more drugs until I feel ultimately you're going to be possibly making some big buys on some drugs. And so you're going to be seeing some key players that aren't really seen out on the streets too much. And those people might be, they might run a little bit different of a way. Yeah. Um, that's a possibility. There are some times to where we would actually have that going on. But, uh, when you get to things like that, when it gets bigger, you gotta get bigger players involved as well. So you work, you may not even, you may not get big deals. You may be small deals here and there. You're just building the case upon who you're purchasing okay. from. You know, I find bigger stuff within the house. Now there have been times where we may have been connected to a middleman or a bigger guy from whoever we were dealing with, but you got to get bigger agencies involved. That makes any sense because of the amount of weight they're moving. Oh, Okay. That's what's up. Yeah. Man. Yeah, man. It's but yeah. at the same time, I feel like if, like one cool aspect of it is like it's like a being a predator because you are actively hunting these people. You know what I'm saying? You get to get out there consistently, and get to get out there even like hunt them down. Yeah, pretty much, because like, working undercover, you're a detective, and as a detective, you're usually receiving a case once it's been through patrol's hand, and then it, they can't solve it, then they come to you. As an undercover detective, your cases start to finish with you. You begin that case, you work the case, you build the case, and you close the case. So it's pretty much like you're a baby. You're doing this thing 24-7, even on your off time. You know, you may be thinking about ways to get into places that you haven't been able to get into yet. Or thinking about ways to keep your probable cause current, you know, while you're dealing with specific individuals. So that way you don't lose probable cause and you lose the case. So you're constantly working. And as you say, you're hunting. You're finding ways and finding avenues of whatever they're doing to add to your case, to solidify your case, so that way your case isn't dropped or, you know, reduced to a lesser charge or thrown out. How often can you catch people just off of, like, some, there are some people who, you know, they know their stuff, you know, they slick, they know what, how to not get seen in public, but how often are you catching people just off their social medias? Okay. Um... That's a tool that law enforcement uses. Does it always work? No. But there are times, a decent percentage of times, to where you can watch their social media and pretty much everything you want to know, you're going to find out. Because some people, they put everything on social media. When I say everything, I mean every moment of their day, they're putting it on social media. So all you have to do is sit back and watch. Sit back and watch and just use that as part of your Man. case file. <laughs> but like you say, there are individuals who are pretty smart. They've been through the system a few times, so they know, you know, they don't put everything out there. And as the old saying goes, you know, real gangsters move in silence. <laughs> so if they're real gangsters, they, uh, they ain't putting nothing out there for you to, to catch them. Oh. oh, man. 
feel, yes, sir. Because <clears throat> I know everybody just want to. I don't know what it is. Some folks just really like to just put their business out there, and then, man, like I, I ate a slice of bread today, winning. You know, chill. At two p.m., you can definitely see they move because I can see some people that, especially on a fr- on a weekend tip, you know, you're gonna be able to see who somebody hang with. You know, what days they hang with, what they talking about when they hanging out, you know. And, you know, I ain't got to see right. the whole, nothing in the whole picture, but you, know what I mean? you can you can get some contextual clues. Exactly. And then, you know, they're tagging everyone that's with them. Mm-hmm. Those damn so now they may not be a part of my investigation, but they may get drawn in because now you tag X, Y, Z into the picture. I may have seen XYZ before, but I didn't know his name. Now I know his name. Wow. Because you tagged me. Man, that's what's up there. So, yeah, man, it's just people stay off social media putting all your business out there. If you're listening, stop putting all your business on social media. I'm not trying to break the law or how to get around breaking the law, but just in general. You regular old people who got regular good jobs, you know, the Grand Slam jobs, as Jay Hall said, keep the business off social media. That's what's up. Man. Yes, sir. That's what's good. Well, yeah, man, it's it's been a good thing so far. I, I've enjoyed it. Like I say, I, I go to work, I come home. I don't let it encompass my life. You got some guys out there who are like police guru. You know, they don't know how to turn it off. You know, they have it on 24-7. It's, it's not about that, man. Because honestly, at the end of the day, I'm out here to to help individuals more so than I am to arrest them. Mm, I like that, man. I like that. Because I know I, I'm even guilty myself. Sometimes I'll be driving. If I see a police behind me, <laughs> I'm like, oh, man, here we go. <laughs> over here running down the list. But, you know, this man, he, he don't want to feel like having to pull over nobody and have to, you know, have a somewhat of an awkward conversation. You know, it could go this way. It could go that way. He'd much rather just be on his way. Right. Exactly. And one of those things that that's really dangerous for police officers is traffic stops. For the simple fact that you have no idea who you're pulling over. Even though you just ran this tag, you have a name that comes back to the vehicle, you know, registered owner of the vehicle. That may or may not be the driver. I don't know if this person just stole this car two minutes ago. And I just happened to get behind him for so whatever, you know, law violation he committed, I pull him over and then he wants to end my day because he just stole that car. He's afraid to go to jail. So there are certain situations where, you know, got you have officers who are pretty much on edge all the time for the simple fact that I'm going to be honest. There's some officers out there who shouldn't mm. be the police. They should not be the police at all because they're scary as hell. You know, but you got those guys was scary as hell and as soon as something makes them flinch they're reaching for the gun and it's not always about that you know use your gun when necessary other than that leave it alone leave it in this holster but uh traffic stop is really one of the most dangerous things we do because we have no clue who we're pulling over see that right but at the same time they can go very smooth i mean Majority of the time, I was never a big ticket guy. Mm-hmm. You know, if I pull you over, I'm pulling you over for I'm not pulling you over for the hell of it. I'm pulling you over for a reason. But if everything checks out, 
you're good to go. Nine out of ten, I'm letting you go with a warning. Unless, like, my pet peeves for traffic violations were running red lights, no seat belts, suspended license, and child restraints. Those are my four things that I did write mm. tickets for. Other than that, if everything was good to go with you, your license wasn't suspended, you, know, you had your seatbelt on, you got kids, they restrained, you know, you're good. Hey, have a nice day. Now, there was just one specific time I got a complaint because I gave a lady a warning, but she still complained on me. So I didn't have a paper trail of why I stopped her. So I started writing written. You got you have an option to do, you know, a verbal warning or an actual written warning. So I decided to give warnings. I started giving paper warnings. So now you can use that as a, a bookmark. It, it's nothing that goes against your driving record. You know, none of that stuff is just saying that you were stopped by the police on this date and time for whatever reason and you were given a verbal warning. I mean, a, a written warning. Fair. So I did that as a CYA thing for the simple fact I got a complaint one time for mm -hmm. giving somebody a warning and make you think, damn, I should have gave her a ticket. Man, that's what's up. But man, to take, yeah. take it, to take you back to the, uh, to the narc side, one part I because I, I remember I've okay. seen uh, as much as I know about Undercover is probably just from watching either Law and Order, <laughs> New York Undercover with Malik Yobo, Black Behind, <laughs> or, uh, <laughs> or what I've seen from um, that movie In Too Deep with LL Cool J and uh, Omar Epps. Like, yeah, yeah. with Mr. Denzel. There'd be a time though during these things where you would probably be able to, you know, shoot, get a little high, you know, smoke a little weed. Maybe do a little bump because you got to be in character. You know what I'm saying? You do your best to refrain from doing that. You always got to be thinking. You're thinking constantly because the more you're thinking, the more you're talking, you're not giving this dealer the edge ahead of you to kind of throw you off of your game. So, you know, say for instance, my excuse would be I got to go pick up my kids. When I leave here, I don't fuck around with that shit. When I'm dealing with my kids mm. or I'm buying this for some chicks. I'm about to get, get a hotel room. And you know what I'm saying? This is what she get down with. So I'm buying it for her. Oh, okay. That's what's up. So that throws it off of the game. So that I got two reasons of why I'm not going to use. And one's a user reason and one's a non-user reason. But you always got to be thinking. You got to be thinking ahead of them. You got to be kind of yeah. quick on your feet. It's almost like you're a professional yeah. liar. Yeah, because you don't want to be doing it. If they ask you a question, you want to be like, um, mm, well, and uh, because, you know, it exactly. plays back to the into, uh, Marine Corps boot camp to where, you know, when a drill instructor come up, up to you and they ask you, you know, do you need to make a head call? It's not like, well, I kind of need to go pee in three in about five minutes. It's, you know, sir, no, sir. And, you know, and that's it. You know, you, you got a, a ready response. Right. That way. Yeah. That's what's up. Exactly. That's a good one. Though, having to go get your kids. Yeah, man. You have to stay <laughs> Right. You know, you gotta you gotta be on your toes at all times, man, and be able to give them something that throws them off. Because usually if you're a user, they're used to and accustomed to a user going ahead and doing what they're gonna do. But then you throw a curveball at them and they're like, Whoa, now what do I do? And that's just human nature in general. So when you throw somebody off their game, one or two things are gonna happen. They're gonna deal with you or not. Mm -hmm. You know? But I'm not going to force a deal and put myself in more danger than I already am just because 
he don't want to sell to me. If he don't sell to me, I'm going to walk away and leave it there. Because, because guess what? He's going to continue selling. So if I don't get him another time, somebody else will. Wow. Man, that's deep. That almost, man, it almost sounds enticing. I want to go down and go sign up, man. I mean, shoot. I mean, I feel like, I remember when I was, before I went to boot camp, I had uh, this recruiter, and he'd be telling me, man, you got homies out here running around and shooting guns. But they don't know that they could be running around and shooting guns and getting paid. <laughs> yeah. Legally. Exactly. They can do it legally and get paid. Go to kicking doors, come up and Uzi the block. <laughs> well, you know, we, you can't do that here in Compton or you can't do that here in Birmingham. But, you know, we, we got this town called Fallujah. You can kick in doors, throw grenades in the whole nine, call in the airstrike. You, you feel bad. Oh, you <laughs> Protect the getaway when you're doing it. You a fat car to go ride up on them at. You can have Ken. <laughs> Ken can be sitting <laughs> up on the top with the 50 cal just down, 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 down. Because you know Ken. <laughs> Dropping them. <laughs> That's what's up, man. Cover. Dropping them on them, man. Man. But yeah, I, I did it for a short time. I mean, I won't say a short time. I mean, two years is a long time to live that life. But there are guys who were doing it. That when I got there, they had been in, you know, undercover positions for 10, 15 years. Once they left patrol and went to narcotics, they never went back to patrol. They stayed in narcotics their entire rest of their career. That's a long time to live that lifestyle, man. It's a very, because it's rough on your family as well, because now that kind of changes the, the dynamic. You're still able to go out and do things, but you got to drill your family. Like, hey, you know what I do now. So, I had a cold word with my family. If I say this word, get the hell out of there, call the police, tell them what I'm wearing, let them know I'm a police officer because I don't look like it. Because when you're working the cover, you have relaxed grooming standards. You grow your hair out, you know, you grow facial hair. You know, you don't necessarily look like a police officer anymore. You saw me on the corner with a gun in my hand, you might think I'm the guy who's doing all the craziness and not a, and not actually a police talk officer. Right there. My cold word I gave to my family, I have them use it. And I say, make sure you tell them what I'm wearing, what I look like, and I am a police officer. So that way when that brand new patrol officer who's never seen me before, because you know, once you get undercover for a while, you're out of the you're out of the loop as far as patrol goes. So no one knows who you are unless you personally know them. So that patrol officer who's been on patrol two minutes, he shows up and sees a guy with a gun, he's like he's probably gonna automatically shoot me. He sees the guy that looks like a freaking dirt bag, but in actuality, I'm a police officer. I'm one of you. I'm a good guy, right, man? So, because things can go down, and you don't want that to happen with your family, but you got to prepare them for that. Like I say it changes your life so much, man. You, there's so many things that change because now you can't do this, you can't do that. You can still do some of these things, but you never know who you're going to run into because you deal with so many people. And, that, and people remember yeah. I had very visible identifiable tattoos so even working in that undercover world you know someone ever seen me in patrol and saw my tattoos and they remember them they'd be like that guy's a police officer matter of fact prime example I ran into a guy I knew one time before but he didn't recognize me I, I was uh, with my partner my partner was doing a deal with a guy and the guy came out and I knew him from around the way, but we didn't really know each other, but we knew each other. We've been around the same set for a little while, you know, growing up. 
Mm-hmm. And I knew who he was, and he should have known who I was, but he paid me no mind. So I was nervous for my partner at that moment for the simple fact of, you know, me being burned and being recognized as a police officer. But, you know, the guy, he didn't realize it. He did the deal and moved on. But I didn't go back to that house with my partner anymore for the simple fact of I didn't want to get burned or get his deals or his case, you know, screwed up. Man. Man, that's some heavy stuff, man. It's a lot to yeah. That's a lot to deal with at work. I could, you know, I could almost even see why people would just rather just keep doing the same old bull <laughs> because it's, mm-hmm. it's a thinking man. It's like like the old the other stuff. Some people out there playing checkers, you know, and they, right. they might get a, a double jump at best. But what you doing, man? You got to be surgical. You got you are playing chess. You got to be two moves ahead, like you say. Right, always ahead. Because if you don't, you get caught slipping. You get caught slipping big time, and you have to stay ahead of your game, stay on your toes in order to be successful in that that world. Man, that life, that life. So where did To that... be quite honest with you, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, no, Let me cut go, you off. You go, you go ahead. You go ahead. <laughs> I'll say, to be quite honest with you, that two-year time frame trumps my four-year time frame of patrol. Because it's you're involved in so many different things. Anything they need undercover officers for, you know, you're there. It might not even be a drug thing. They just might want to put eyes on something, mm-hmm. and you're out there doing it. You know, blending in with the environment, but you're basically doing reconnaissance. Mm. Yeah, it seems like it's a lot of a whole lot of reconnaissance, and then at the end of all this work, like something might take two months to get this arrest. Right. What's the longest? I'm trying to see the longest. Yeah, let me know what's the longest time you've had to really work on a case to get it solved. The longest case I've worked probably took about three months. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. We were working an area, and this area was just riddled with different little trap houses. It's a few apartment complexes that were right next to each other, and. Uh, we actually got an apartment in one of the apartment complexes and we hung out there like we lived there. And that investigation took about two and a half, three months. But at the end of that investigation, we got about eight bodies out of there. Wow. So y- y'all pretty much just got to go live in an apartment over in a bad spot and try to just see where yep. that per like, like where that person lives pretty much in their neighborhood. Right. Wow. You know, and it was just it was several individuals in there. Like I said, we got about eight bodies at the end of the, the investigation. We had about eight guys that served us drugs in that same little neighborhood between three or four apartment complexes all in the same street. We just roamed the neighborhood like we lived there, you know, and got known in the area because at first you, you don't really want to kind of just jump out there. You kind of get your face known for a while. But eventually somebody's going to hit you. I got that loud, or I got this, or I got whatever the case may be. Percocet. My little percocet. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, sir. So you buy whatever you buy from them to begin with, and then you start easing your way to different things. So whatever they they want to sell you from the first time, you just buy it. So now 
you get that connect with them, you get your face good. Mm. And once your face is good, you're good. And now you're buying all kind of shit from them. Man, that's crazy, man. And, you, I mean, it's like you gotta yeah. go you gotta go make friends, like you're saying, huh? Right. You know, just hang out on the block like everybody else do. Start walking to the corner store every now and then, you know, buying a little something here and there. It's like I say, it's, it's just like you move into a new neighborhood and your face gets known, and then once they know who you are, you're not an outsider anymore. Mm. Man, it seems like a lot of fun. It is, man. I, I, I could probably write a book <laughs> on those two years. To be quite honest you, with you. You just might have to hell. <laughs> You never know, man. It just thinks, you know, uh, like I say, that kind of paled my patrol career because there's just so much things, so many things that were going on and so much you were involved in as an undercover detective, man. But uh, the only thing I missed about patrol in that aspect was in patrol, when you were off, you were off. Unless you had to maybe go to court for something like that or, you know, but for the most part, once you went home and patrol, there is nothing that's tying you to come back into work. Or you're not trying to follow up on different cases when, you know, you're uh, off the patrol. Because when that clock strikes whatever time, if you're not being held over for a call, you're going home. And you have nothing to take home with you. And as a detective, you have a caseload. And you're working several cases at a time. So you're constantly working. Man. But the freedom of being a detective, which was the greatest part. That's why you kind of just throw patrol to the side because as a detective, as long as your work's getting done, you have set hours, but you're not strictly set in a police car all day long, or you're not sitting in the office all day long doing paperwork. You know, you are coming and going as you please, as you need to work your cases. So I may go into the office for maybe an hour, and I'm gone the rest of the day until I go decide to go home. Mm, man, I like that. But I'm, actually, I'm actually working, you know. I mean, I'm not BSing around out there. But, you know, I would go in the office for a little while, do what I need to do, and then I'm gone for the rest of the day doing my cases. And then the next day I come in, do whatever paperwork I need to do, and I'm right back at it again. Right. Out in the field doing my thing. Show up to work, be like, you know what, I think I'm going to go buy some crack real quick, see who sell it to me. And then you go, you go over there. Yeah. You make that move, make that transaction. You're like, okay, okay, well, okay. It's this. I, okay, I bought it from this person this time. You know, maybe you know, chop it up with them, man. Right. You know, maybe get their phone number. You know, can I any way I could try to get a little bit, man, man, and all that in just a days of work while your coffee's you still warm. Who told you that? You sound good detective. That's how you do it. <laughs> you buy whatever, you get that number, and you keep that contact with them. Like I say, once your face good, your face is good, wow. bro. Oh man! Now, now, as far as danger, like I remember, while you served, you had some stuff go on as well, and some dangerous moments. Which would you what? say was more has has been more dangerous or more crazy for you? Some of your undercover time or some of your Marine Corps time? Just time in general as a police officer. It, it's a combination of patrol and detective time as an undercover guy, but. It's definitely been more dangerous for me as a police officer. Wow. I mean, because, you know, 
I'm going to take it back to patrol for a little bit. So on patrol, you have your basic run-of-the-mill calls you run all the time. You might have, you know, domestic disputes or a simple dispute between unknown individuals. Get your car accidents. You've got burglaries, you know, things like that. And then, of course, you have your shootings. You have your robberies. Those are the, the normal calls you're going to get day-to-day basis. You know, and some days you may not even get all of those. You may just get one or two. And you don't know same one or two calls all day, just different yeah, addresses, you know? Showing up. Y'all keep the turn the music down, you know. Right. You know, noise complaints, things like that. But you have those moments to where you are responding to whatever the call may it may be a shooting, it could be a traffic chase, like a, a police pursuit. Those are very dangerous as well. Because the idiots that are running from you, they don't know how to drive. And they're putting everybody else at danger. You know, We've had specific training on how to drive in pursuits, you know, and chase vehicles. But it's still dangerous for us because the individuals around us, they don't know what to do. You know, you have your lights and sirens on and these guys just won't get out of your way or people are still running through the lights when you're trying to get through an intersection. So it's very dangerous for us, that aspect of it. Or you're doing purposes. I may pull someone over and I pull someone over and tell about the car and start running. Now you're running behind them. You still don't know who this guy is or this girl is. You don't know why they're they're running for a reason. And they may say today is the day that I'm not going back to jail. And next thing you know, you're getting dumped on by them. You know, and you got to do what you got to do to make sure you go home. But uh, prime example, uh, let me see. I'm going to try and give you one of my good stories about mm. a foot pursuit. Um, I've had a Oh, okay, we got a call one night about individuals selling drugs up under a carport. So it was a neighbor who called on another neighbor. The neighbor's a drug addict, but they allowed their drug dealer to sell drugs in their driveway in order for them to get free drugs. Following? Yeah. So um, my, my beat partner and I we rode together real tight. We were heavy on the beat together, so we, we pretty much went to everything together if we could. So we were, you know, coordinating before we got there on the radio, saying, hey, you take this direction, I'll take this direction. So we both, basically, he approached from the um, the south and I approached from the north on this specific street. As soon as we pulled in front of the house, the guys got out of the car and started running. So we were running behind them, hopping fences, you know, the whole thing you see on TV, the good stuff, the reason why people yeah. become police officers. And all of a sudden, you hear, like, this huge splash. And it, like, almost stopped us in our tracks. And you're like, that's the body of water. And it's dark. Because I worked overnight when I was in patrol. I worked the night shift. So uh, I'm like, hold on. Slow down, bro, because I'm definitely not going in this swamp. Because this area is swampy. And I don't know what's in there. No, I ain't doing it. So we get on the radio. and we're... Yeah, I'm not dealing with no, no snakes and... Uh, it is if I don't have to. So we uh, get on the radio, request the air unit, request K nine, and request you know additional units to come over to the uh, area we were in. And you know we got a bunch of guys set up a per- perimeter. The air unit comes out. They start flying around, you know, searching the wooded area and searching the swamp. And then out of nowhere, one guy was on a perimeter. He sees this guy come out of the woods and like damn swamp thing, soaking wet. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> so he pulls him out of here 
and uh, put him in the car. And it's got to be him. There's no reason for him to be soaking wet. You know what I mean? But uh, we get him, catch the other guy. He ran to this little hole-in-the-wall club and went to the club, got him out of there. Both of them soaking wet. We have up taking him to jail. Searched the car, found a bunch of guns and a bunch of drugs inside the car. But that goes back to the danger of it. You know what I mean? A simple foot pursuit could turn into one of us drowning in the swamp because we didn't know it was water back there until we got back there and heard the big splashing going on because they ran right to it like you know what I mean? One of these dudes, are they beavers? <laughs> right, they, exactly. Doing, and, right. And obviously, they, they knew where they were going. They found their way out of the swamp, but I'll be damned, bro. I'm not going in a swamp at night. Hell no. On purpose. You know what I'm saying? I'm not doing that shit. That's that's, that's retarded. And then uh, I broke my hand one time. I punched a guy in the face. He was running from us. Actually, he was running directly towards me, but uh, he w- it was actually a drug deal. We were doing a, uh, a sting one day, and he figured out other guys were cops. He started running, and they basically flushed him right to me. And he's running directly. He hopped the fence and was running directly towards me like he was going to run me over. And at this point, you know, it's like, it's either him or me. It's not going to be me. So, as he's coming to where you're close enough, you know, I hit him with a nice little good old right hook, like, mm. and then. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> Get back. I just throw my dick all the impersonation in there. He would have right. I hit him with that, put him out you know, put him in custody or whatever. And then my hand just starts like hurting out of nowhere. Cause you got that adrenaline pumping. Yeah. You don't feel anything. Ooh. I hit him, put him out. We got him in custody, you know, put him under arrest or whatever. And then next thing you know, maybe like 10 minutes later, my hand is like throbbing like no other. I never felt this pain in my you life, must- man. And I'm, I'm trying. Yeah. Like it, I broke two small bones right at my wrist with my uh, what are those called? The metatarsals wow. in your hand, where they meet your wrist bone. So, whatever that's called. You must yeah, I'm a little bit smart. Good. You must, but uh, planted one on him. Yeah, man. <laughs> I did. Yeah, he, he put it down like immediately. He was done. His, his fight mode was done. He didn't want to. He didn't want to run. He didn't want to fight. He didn't want to do nothing. He was finished. But uh. My hand started to swell pretty bad, so I had to leave the operation. We were doing more things that day as the day went on, but I had to leave and go because my hand pretty much swelled like a grapefruit-sized knot on my hand. So, yeah, and it was broken, so I had to get it taken care of or whatever. But uh, like I say once again, that's back to the danger of it, man. You know, you can get up, go to work, and not come back home, or not come back home the same way you left. So. Every day you have that level of danger putting on that uniform, going to Man. and from work. All because of the uniform you wear. It's not because of, of who you are personally. It's because of the uniform you wear. Just got the wrong clothes on. <laughs> right. Yeah. In the wrong hood. Right. What's that you claim? Are you claim the police? No. <laughs> okay. No. Yeah. You need to get going. I'm talking about my most da- danger has been wow. as a police officer. Because folks always think they always think that if they Deployment. join that it's gonna be, you know, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna join, I'm gonna go into a war, 
and I'm going to get, you know, and that'll be the end of me. So I think maybe some people try to take it the safer route, but just stay home, stay local. And just, you know, they think they're going to be writing tickets all day. Next thing you know, you just hurting yourself, socking somebody up, you know? <laughs> right. I mean, even with deployments in the Marine Corps, you know, of course they're dangerous. They have, they're dangerous in their own way. But to be put in that level of danger constantly, or almost constantly, or at least once or twice in a 12-hour shift, mm. I've had more danger as a police officer than I did as a as a as a Marine. Wow. That's huge. It is, man. But like I said, I've enjoyed it so far, man. It's Sounds been a good, good thing. I have no complaints. No Yeah. It's it's like any other job. It's what yeah, you make it, man. It's what you make it. Man, man. What else you got for me? What else you got for me, Mr. T? Who would have thought? Who would have thought, you know? Back in 04 when we met two little knuckleheads running around, running the streets. From 04 to what about? What, 07? Oh, that's when it started? We ran the streets yeah, a lot. 2004, we was... I'm talking about with us. Like, I think every weekend yeah. in those days in the Marine Corps life. Every weekend. Yeah, man, you know, <laughs> we ain't even supposed to be where we are. You, know, you sit back and you think what we had going on with our lives back then, you know, coming from where we come from. We had pretty much one mentality, and that's party. And then now, look at us. You know, yep. Both college graduates. Man. Man. T-Rob, you still there? Hello? Yeah, there we go. Cut out on me. Jake. Yeah, I'm here. You hear? You hear me? <laughs> Technical difficulties. Mr. T. Hello? Yes, sir. Yeah, I'm not sure what just happened. Oh, okay. Yeah, That's we're back. And we're My back. apologies. <laughs> it's all good, Technical man. difficulties over here. We practicing social distancing, y'all. Right. Social distance. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember you were saying, um, coming from where we come from, from that life of partying every night to uh, now with college. Right. We both graduated college. You know, we got real lives and real responsibilities now. And, you know, who would have thought we'd have been at this point in our life? So, you know, we go back to saying, you know, my old, my always, my old saying, perseverance through adversity, because adversity is going to come. But it's on you to uh, decide whether or not what you're going to do with yourself and move forward and then progress from that point. Mm. Yeah, man, I feel, I feel like a lot of people, they live their life, you know, they, they live it only when uh when everything's going good. But then the moment that that adversity comes, it's like, oh, no, you know, they like they let the situation be the aggressor and they be the victim to the adversity. Exactly. Right. They that's when you see the real testament of an individual. That's the real testing for you. How do you overcome adversity? Do you sit back and let it take over or you kick it in the ass and you move forward and, and keep going? Man, that's true, man. Cause I mean, it's going, it's, it's adversity every day. There's, there's some type of resistance. It's almost like swimming, you know, it's, it's got that, that mm -hmm. resistance. You got to pull yourself through it, you know, with each stroke, <laughs> Right. 
<laughs> and if you don't, you're gonna be stuck in the water. Yep, that's right. You gotta. <laughs> if you can't swim, you bound to drizzle like that movie. <laughs> what movie was that? I don't remember, but I know exactly what you're talking and if about. If you can't swim, you bound to drizzle. Dang, somebody, please. I don't know. But yeah, it was it was a good uh <laughs> that adversity, man. Yeah, because it, well, the funny thing Overcoming. is, is that the marine life, even though people think it is so dangerous that it's so, you know, that you're a robot and you just follow orders, I have never, I have, <laughs> right? Like we're just beep boop beep boop, yes or no, sir. You know, I have, I think that's the most I've ever parted. The most partying I've ever done was during my, my, my time in the Marine Corps from the age of 19 to age 24. Pretty much every weekend. And I, and I, I, can, I can think same <laughs> to those to those same years, I'd look across and who else would have a Hennessy and Coke in their hand rocking a gold chain? You. <laughs> right? <laughs> a gold chain, gold okay, grill. Gold chain, gold grill, but fresh button down from the mall. It's like a... <laughs> It's like an OJ the Juice Man song every weekend. Yes, sir. Whether every it be weekend. Downtown San Diego, or 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 whether it be in uh, downtown Oceanside, some of those uh, man. Or the, oh the my Pensacola. Goodness. Those days, Pensacola, Florida. Yes, sir. It used to be this that place club Star Sixty Nine, and it was free. Oh my goodness, Roy Jones <laughs> Club. club. Free, oh, Free before yeah. 11. <laughs> yes, sir. Go in there, get your Hennessy, coconut, corona, and shoot pool to the crowd. Come here. It was, and those days, while being in the military, and then and then thinking, and then I go back home, and then people be like, man, you a snitch. You out there being, you in the military. And it's like, man, I'm having the time of my life. Exactly. Right? If they only knew. If they only knew, man. How many people, because think about right now, that was... 16 mm-hmm. years ago and we're we're doing this right now this very moment and you meet so many people in the Marine Corps or in the military in general man and some people you're going to make connections with for life some are just for the time frame and wherever you are but here we are 16 years later doing a daggone <laughs> podcast All right you know and like you see having the time of your life the most enjoyable year, years of your life you know your early late teens early 20s enjoy yourself <laughs> have a ball I know we did I still wish I could go back to those days you know I think about it now it seemed like it was just yesterday and how long ago it was man and those days were simple not a care in the mm-hmm. world you know you didn't have to worry about much of anything and that's why I think it's important for all young men I think to be honest this is just my opinion that all young men should experience the military no matter what branch it is if you decide to do four years and get out, by all means, do your four years and get out. But use it as a stepping stone because there's so many more doors that open up for you when you got that that honorable discharge behind your name. True, man. I mean, I don't think either of us would even have those college degrees because we would have had to pay for them ourselves instead of the government paying for them. You're absolutely right. right Uncle I Sam, thank you very much. That GI Bill paid for everything. Right. And so. And got me some money Every- so where I could even start partying again. You know, it was like <laughs> the funny. Yeah, they they paid for your school right? and because paid I you to go when to I school. Started, when I got out, I didn't go straight into school. I was like, man, I don't want to go to school. And then it was like, well, if you go to school, you're gonna get paid 
every month, $1,786. $1,786.12. And I was like, y'all going to give me that just to go to school? Well, shoot, I guess <laughs> I guess I got to go to school then. <laughs> and then I started go going to go. school. Next thing I know, I started <laughs> buying new clothes, started shopping more, started going out. <laughs> right. And see, my thing was my first enlistment is what we were just talking about. We were part, I mean, even I parted in my second enlistment, but my first enlistment was nothing but a party. You know, when you met me, I was just about to re-enlist. So that was Pensacola. that few years before that. Yeah, that was nothing but a party. I saved no money. I did nothing that I should have done in my first enlistment. And then my second enlistment came along. You know, it come a little bit of growth and maturity. You start saving a little bit of money. You start making a plan to set yourself up if you do decide to get out again that you got an actual plan you're going to stick to. Because, you know, if you don't, you're going to find yourself asked out out here. Ooh. So my second enlistment, I took two classes here and there. You know, I saved some money and started formulating the plan. So that way, when I did get out, I already knew what I was going to do. So I was even, I was only out of the Marine Corps three months before I started the academy. So my plan was set in motion when I said I'm getting out of the Marine Corps after my eight years. But my first enlistment was a party, man. I I didn't care about nothing but partying. Man. I had to say this. If you got any individuals out who listen to it, they're at that age range where, you know, they're thinking about joining the military. Have your fun, but also formulate a plan. Formulate a plan so that way if you decide after four years this ain't for you, by all means, have a nice day. Thank you for your service. You're now a veteran. And you got other opportunities, just like we just said, you can go to school. But at the same time, formulate that plan so you don't be sitting around here being that veteran, you know, downtown in your city, USA, with a can asking for change. Man, I know that's right. Like, I had done the math the other day, and I was like, you know, if somebody served four years and they just put $200 away every month, like $100 out of each paycheck, by the time they get out, they'll have like a cool mm-hmm. 12 G's just chilling. Just to sit there, not to mention the interest that's collected on it. It may not be a much, but it's still some. It's more than what you put no, there. That's right, and th- and that way, a person ain't got to have this uh, uncertainty, like getting out and being like, "Oh no, my paycheck is stopping." You know, now they can be like, "I got twelve in the bank. I'm putting my feet up, and and from a comfortable position, I can then make my next move." And that was my very reason <laughs> for. Staying a second enlistment. That alone, I was like, I still had a car payment. I still had, you know, take care of my son. So it got time that, you know, it got to that time frame where it say, hey, it's time to go. But T ain't have no money. So T was like, uh, I'm going to go ahead on and uh, sign these papers. Sign these papers? That's a good move. Man, exactly. And, and especially during, like sometimes <laughs> right. the militaries. Uh, the respective services, they may be trying to increase their people that they have. And so they start offering these beautiful, tasty bonuses for people to just simply continue doing the same thing or at least just, just four more years, you know? I mean... Yeah, you know, and they, they're hefty bonuses depending upon what job you choose. Some guys walking out of there, $60,000 and $75,000 bonuses. In your account by Friday so you can go drinking, you know? <laughs> right. 
But, you know, hopefully these individuals just take heed to what we're saying. Uh, like I say, one of the things I, one reason I became a police officer was to help individuals. So um, I'm always put top knowledge on somebody as soon as I can, you know, whenever I can. Yes, sir. Man, I feel like that's. A, I feel like we have covered a lot today. We have really showed the high points, the low points, the danger, the opportunities for anybody who's listening to just you know just try something. Try holding yourself accountable. Try doing something right. Try doing a good move. You know, there is something to be said about trying to do the right thing and and having things work out in your favor. Lastly, Mister T, do you have anything else? Like the plug name mention what you got as we wrap up. Uh no, no. I think that we that's it. We covered a lot of things, man. I appreciate you having me, reaching out and saying, Hey, come join me for this here. And uh I wish you much success with what you have going on. So hope everything works out for you. you. We yes, definitely sir. will stay in contact. Yes, indeed. Well, we'll close them out. This has been another episode of Be, Do, Have, Get More Out of Life. I am your host, Jay Hall. We have had former Marine, former patrol officer, former narc undercover detective, Mr. T. Thank you for listening, and may you have a wonderful day.